Alicia Gaddis, and welcome to ICTHOS. In this podcast, I will speak with artists, educators, thinkers, and ordinary people about how we define sacred in the 21st century. As a believer in Christ, I believe it is more important now than ever before to understand how our faith is evolving, but also to understand and find common ground with individuals of other faiths, as well as those who don't believe at all, in order to renegotiate our social contract for this new millennia. Today's installment is part two of a three-part series on progressive Christianity. In my last conversation, I spoke with Reverend Jim Burklow, Senior Associate Dean of Religious Life at the University of Southern California, and he gave me the rundown on what it's all about. Progressive Christianity is a movement that practices radical welcome and embraces a pluralistic approach to religion, welcoming creedal Christians as well as those that don't believe in the literal death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The progressive Christian movement also welcomes people of other faiths, Buddhists, Sikhs, Jews, and even atheists, who may not believe that Jesus is God incarnate, but who appreciate and seek to follow his teachings of love and justice. Which left me wondering, how does an old-fashioned, traditional, creedal believer such as myself fit into this group? How do we navigate this new terrain and remain faithful to our core beliefs, the main one being that Jesus is Emmanuel, God, with us. To answer this and other questions, I spoke with Father Mark Olewski, Dean and Rector at St. John's Cathedral, an Episcopal church in Los Angeles, California. We discussed the Progressive Christian Movement, its connection to the Democratic Party, and how he remains true to his King, Jesus Christ. I contacted you earlier this week, or actually a couple of weeks ago, uh-huh. um, about what we now call progressive Christianity. Right. Um, I informed you about my personal background. Uh-huh. Um, I recently attended a church that considered itself progressive Christian, and coming from a Roman Catholic background as well as being part of a charismatic church, I found the politics, I mean, not to say that religion doesn't always contain a component of politics, but the political aspect I felt was more important in some cases than the spiritual dimension. Uh-huh. And do you find that to be the case with progressive Christianity? Yeah. Um, I guess, first of all, the, the first question that came to my mind when when uh, you sent me some questions in advance uh, as to what you mean by politics, I guess, you know, to, how, how would you, how do you define that? Because I think, I think you can look at that in a couple of different ways. And so for you, what does that mean? I'm, I'm interviewing you now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the political aspect for me is I, I, I mean, I grew up kind of like as a Dorothy Day Catholic. Uh-huh. I understand the social gospel very well. Right. And I believe in the social gospel. However, when I go to church, it should be more about the spiritual aspect. Now, how you take that and move into the world is a very different thing. Yes, it should inform how you move in the world and how you vote and your political affiliations and all of that, but how you personally enact that is, I believe, a more individual thing. I see progressive Christianity as being very left-centered in, in the sense that it seems to have an affiliation with the Democratic Party. That's <laughs> right. what I mean by right. political. Right. Okay. And that uh-huh. to me is not good. 
So as that just my perspective? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly can understand what you're saying, you know, and um, I guess what I would say about that is, is where your, where your starting point comes from, I think is really crucial. Um, what we sometimes say here is that we take the Bible so seriously that we can't help but be progressive. And what we mean by that is a lot of the New Testament, for example, a lot of Jesus' teachings refer a lot to social justice in the tradition of the prophets, right? Um, so when we read the Gospels, we hear Jesus talking about care for the oppressed, care for the dispossessed, care for uh, the, the least and the lost and the last. Uh, so we hear that a lot in the Gospels, and that's, that's, that's what Jesus talks about when he talks about the kingdom. It's A lot of it is about the transformation of, of the earth and the transformation of human relationships. You know, the, the word shalom uh, in the Bible does not mean just peace. It means... Um, right relationship, that that, ever, that relationships are restored, relationships between God and human beings, relationships between human beings themselves, and relationships between uh, human beings and the planet. And so that, that right relationship um, that, that, that God intended from creation is what God still intends. And that's what I think the Bible means by the kingdom of God. So I think that... Um, when we come to church and we create environments where um, we can encounter the living God, um, that first of all should transform our heart and our soul, but it also should enliven us and empower us to go out into the world and transform the world too, to, to be agents of the kingdom of God. I always say that we're citizens of another country. We're, we're citizens of the, the, the egg, place of exile where we live now, just like the Babylonian captivity where the Jews lived, uh, were 40 years in the desert, and then the Babylonian captivity and where, where they were uh, wanderers, right? Uh, so we're citizens in the country where we're, we're living, but we're also primarily citizens of another country. We're citizens of the new creation or the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven or whatever whatever you want to call it. That's all the words that the Bible uses for that, for that other reality. Don't you think, though, sometimes that the progressive movement is doing the same thing the Christian right movement did in the 80s in terms of feeling as though like they have co-opted Jesus in a way? In the 80s, Jesus was pro-life and very staunch conservative, and now Jesus is very progressive, but <laughs> I don't think he's changed. <laughs> uh -huh. You know, yeah, it's, how, it's how people view him, right? Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Well, let me put it this way: I think it really, in many ways, it, it comes from one's own perspective on it, right? At the same time, I think that you'd be hard pressed to find the religious right quoting the Jesus of the Gospels. They never do. They talk about. They, they have an agenda that talks about it in religious language, but I see very little talk about the Jesus of the gospel in the Christian right. Um, well, but you also see quite a bit of action in some cases. Mm -hmm. um, the Christian right, although they are fiscally incredibly conservative, tend to give extensively 
mm-hmm. to charities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in that way, they live out that their social gospel. Right, right. Um, and with the, the, the liberal end or the democratic side of it, um, you have an attempt to force society to do the work of the gospel and mm-hmm. feeding people. And I, I believe that that's necessary. I, I'm not advocating that there be no social safety net of any kind mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. I just have a feeling that the gospel itself should be the primary focus. Uh-huh. And the sorting out of how that is enacted right. is an individual choice. Yeah. You know, we were talking about living out the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. As he is saying that my kingdom does not operate on the same rules of empire that the Roman Empire did. When we talk about heaven, that I see as God's ideal for human being, again, shalom, right? It's the ideal relationship between human beings, between God and human beings and and, and the planet. I think that's God's ultimate dream. And that there is a reality that exists beyond this earthly plane, Mm -hmm. right? But that's not God's ultimate dream. God's ultimate dream is for heaven and earth to be one. The Lord's Prayer says on earth as it is in heaven, heaven, right? So that's God's ultimate dream, that the new creation is going to be the transformation of this whole world. And so so what God wants to do, I think, is to transform this world um, in right relationships with people. Now, and I agree with you that it it has to be starts with the individual heart. You know, it's always personal, but it's never private. That's the difference, I think. Hmm. That we have to have our own conversion experience to Christ uh, first. That's the that's step one. But it's never about me. You know, when I was a Pentecostal, we used to sing this absolutely horrible song uh, <laughs> called "Me and Jesus, We Got a Good Thing Going," mm-hmm. <laughs> and it could be nothing further from what I think the gospel is about because it isn't just about me and Jesus. It's about, it's about the movement that Jesus began that we Christians continue in this world. That, you know, that, that, that. But do you think you can be a part of a movement if you don't first have that me and Jesus experience? No, oh no, absolutely not. I, I think that it has to come from an individual sense of receiving that call. From, from Christ, just like the apostles did on the shores of Galilee. It's the same one, same Jesus. <laughs> Still calling people today. Mm-hmm. And he has he calls the individual first, mm-hmm. and absolutely. But then he invites us to be part of that movement that works together to do that kingdom work. So, so I guess where I would caution in us, I guess, to think in in that it's just that I go out into the world and do my own individual thing. I think a lot more can be done when we together join forces, um, even with forces of other people of goodwill, uh, you know, maybe Jews or Hindus or whatever, in engaging in the work of justice making in in the world. but I agree, there can be differences that we in the way we approach that. You know, I think I think you're right. Where where we sometimes run afield of of, of the right direction to be going in is is when we totally align um, the gospel with with the agenda of the Democratic Party, about which with which I have many disagreements often. Yeah. Um, so first of all, I have to have my allegiance to my king, 
who is Jesus Christ. Right. Right. And second of all, then, what's he calling me to do in the world? And I can do coalition building with people out in the world on a variety of issues. Um, that, 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 but those things might be different. Some people might call certain of those conservative, certain of those uh Progressive, you know? uh, but I first have to come at it from with the lens of the gospel. But um, if what we mean by progressive is that we make sure that the, the that there is a a societal care for the poor, mm-hmm. that we um, uh, are not racists, that we are not um, uh, tribal lists, you know, building a wall, for example, to keep people out of this country. Um, Okay, well, let's let's talk right. about that. Um, I'm not opposed to the wall, personally. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes, I believe that this country is a place where people can come to live out their lives in freedom, and they should. But I just feel that they should do it legally. Mm-hmm. We certainly can go to any other country and do that, and we are a sovereign nation. Sure. So protecting our borders is important. Yes. So for that reason, I have no problem with, if people aren't willing to respect that, erecting something so that they don't have a choice. It's simply about doing things decently and in order. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as letting people in, yeah, as long as they follow the proper procedures, there should be no problem with that. But I I don't, I mean, admittedly our president's Speech with regard to the issue has been, to say the least, inflammatory. But um, the ultimate idea isn't wrong. At least I don't perceive it as being wrong. So, how do you feel yeah. about that? I, I disagree with you because yeah. I think that that um, I think it's short-sighted and wrong-headed in that it's it's done um, not with any rational decision-making about um, decently in good order keeping people coming in and uh, into the country in a, in a particular well, way. Once the order has but, been broken, what do you do? What's that? Once the order has been broken, then what do you do? How do you reestablish order? Right. I think that there needs to be good change and redevelopment of immigration law. I think, first of all, that that's, that's step one. This whole sense of building this $5 billion wall or however much it's going to cost um, is not based, again, on any rational calculus of, of how best do we protect our borders in such a way that, that uh, people who want to come here do so in an appropriate way. That's a, that, I think that's a very different question then we're going to build this wall and spend all this money on it that could be spent elsewhere. I, I have to be honest with you, I just can't understand how a Christian can support Donald Trump. <laughs> okay, let's talk about that. <laughs> let's talk about that. Why do you feel that way? Well, because of exactly what you said. I mean, everything that he has done on the um, here, on the election trail through uh, his time now as, as president mm-hmm. um, has been done in such a way to um, engender hate speech and, uh, and a discourse of hate. Um, it's been to separate people, to, uh, to make us think, you know, make America great again is, I think, is, is an essential sense of, 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 of a tribalist rhetoric. 
you know, um, when in the in the Old Testament, when Cain uh, uh, kills Abel, um, Jesus says, "You're your brother's keeper." Well, he didn't mean his literal brother in that story. He meant you and I are one another's keepers. And it doesn't matter about uh, race or class or all that sort of thing. We ought to be taking care of one another. Uh, and that's what I think uh, God's dream was from the beginning and still is God's dream for us today. Somebody with the, with the sense of uh, uh, utter disregard for, for basic decency and civility and discourse. Well, I, I think I can speak to that a little bit because I did vote for him. Okay. And I voted for him for a number of reasons. Um, I think Donald Trump is a pressure valve for the United States. Okay. For the people uh-huh. in the United States. That in the previous administrations, that eight years, there was a lot of anger. And yes, some of it was based on racism, but not all of it was. Um, and he allowed a segment of the population, and that segment is broader than what's pictured on most media, a vocal vent. Had he not been that inflammatory, had he not been that brash, he would not have been elected. He rode away. I think he's smart. He understood what was going on in the nation. And like any other politician, he used it. Mm -hmm. He said, I'm a winner. I'm a winner. Yeah, he won. (laughs) It was completely accurate. Now, it it wasn't pretty. It absolutely was not pretty. But neither is a lot of what's going on in the nation. And that we go high, they go low rhetoric is like the ostrich sticking its head in the sand. This is a nation that was built on people who face things head on. And that whole we go high, you go low, crap. (laughs) It didn't do that. It didn't address the character of the people who live here. And that has never been who we are. I don't understand what you mean. Like when, when, you know, someone like Michelle Obama said that, she meant, as I understand it, Mm that we will not stoop to the level of I understand that, but in, in, the, in the... So what you're saying is that we're a nation based on hatred. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> and then, and not, that's I'm, a good thing, and we should, we should endorse no, that. No, 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 I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm saying it's an accurate thing. And truth is always good. Whether it's a pretty truth or an ugly truth, truth is good because truth, God is the spirit of truth. Can't deal with him unless you deal in truth. So deal with the truth. The truth is that is where the people are at. And shoving it under a rug and saying, oh, that's inappropriate without dealing with why people are in that position does nothing. And that's what the Democratic Party did. And that's why they lost. So I think Trump was the perfect foil for this particular time. I think that's, I know that's why I voted for him. I say he's playing well. He's playing well. The problem isn't whether or not he plays that role. The problem is why we feel the way we feel. And demonizing him won't address that. And I think, although people may be really irritated by his mouth, because he's got one, but it's, it's um, 
more important to see how this plays out. Well, I couldn't disagree with you more, but I'm not sure if we're here talking about that. <laughs> um, also, I wanted to ask you a question about um, postmodernism. Okay. Because they were saying, when I was doing some reading about it, that progressive Christianity is kind of like an answer to the postmodern world. And I wanted you to talk about that to some extent. Let me say first of all, in terms of progressive Christianity, I think there's there's a couple different strains of it that I wanted to sort of clarify maybe, and maybe they'll get at your question a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think there is a sense of progressive Christianity as um, sort of coming at the, the Christian message um, simply as the social gospel, yeah, uh, with nothing, um, no, no orthodox faith behind that. Yeah. Um, for example, uh, when I say that, you know, I think that, yeah, well, I think that, that some folks that could be considered progressive Christians, in quotes, um, really don't have, uh, are, are maybe sort of agnostic about um, the orthodox doctrines of the faith, you know, about resurrection, say, for example, or whether Jesus was God whatever, that sort of thing. That, that, to them, that doesn't really matter all that much as, yeah. long as, um, as long as you have the right social agenda, right? Yeah. I couldn't disagree with that more either, Good. right? Good. Um, so, so that sort of puts me sort of in the middle, middle here of, of various things because, um, well, personally, my politics are progressive and perhaps in some cases radical. Um, in some cases, middle of the road, sometimes conservative. Um, I think that, that as a Christian, the basis of what I believe has to be in the Orthodox faith um, revealed to us in the scriptures and the tradition of the church for 2,000 years. Okay. From that, we can, we can start thinking about, well, how do we live that out and what does that mean in various contexts? But, but I have to have as my bedrock um, that faith, which is described most succinctly in the creeds of the church, the apostles and the Nicene Creed, mm -hmm. um, that uh, you know, God created the world, God uh, called Israel, God came among us in the flesh of Jesus Christ, and who is truly God and truly man, mm -hmm. um, that, that the, the Jesus of history walked among us and preached the kingdom of God, and that same Jesus was killed by the Roman Empire and died, and that in some way um, that I can't really describe fully, um, coming through that death into new life has, has made me able to join him in that. Um, we can talk about theories of the atonement until the cows come home, and none of them are really adequate, but, but somehow um, he, uh, through his journey from death to new life, allows me also to join him through uh, confessing uh, my faith in him and trust in him, mm -hmm. knowing that I cannot do it on my own, and through baptism, mm -hmm. I uh, am made a new creation in him. And that he really did rise from the dead. He really did die. Exactly. And he really he did, did rise, rise from, from the, the dead. dead. Yeah. And that same Jesus of Nazareth is is also the Christ of faith. That they are not like the Christ of faith is not just some um, concept. Concept, right? Yeah. Um, so so that to me is the bedrock of what it means to be a Christian. 
So, so yeah. for me, Christian is the first part. Right. <laughs> the progressive part is the second part. So, so I think that would distinguish here at St. John's, for example, and me in particular, speaking to you, um, from others who might be that, that's why I don't really like the term progressive Christian, um, because I think it 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 has a uh, it's a label that that like fundamentalist or conservative Christian um, means a certain thing to people, uh, and it might not be accurate in terms right. of the of the label. Right now, how is it groups? Because um, that was the issue at my previous um, church because. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the the, the virgin birth. They, there were a lot of aspects. How is it that groups who believe that way can call themselves Christian? People can call themselves <laughs> whatever they want. Like. Yeah. Well, I, I think because I, I think that, that yeah, I mean, we, if, if we looked at the whole thing, you know, for the historically for the past sort of like 200 years, there's been a whole movement since the, you know, beyond 200 years of, of the Enlightenment and, and the Enlightenment influence on philosophy and subsequently on theology um, did, you can see a whole trajectory of how, how that happened, how that came to be, right, out, out of the Enlightenment. And, and uh, um how anything that smacked of the supernatural or, or could not be um, uh, very empirically verifiable was understood as not being real. Um, and so therefore, you know, there was a certain brand of Christianity that bought into that, right? Um, and so that's, so, so there is a sense in which people call themselves Christian who hold that point of view because they, they come out of that milieu um, and and still understand themselves as as being Christian because basically I think they're they're philosophical Christians in that in that they they um, believe in the teachings of Jesus. So does some Muslims um, with, uh, without and 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 believe that that to be a disciple of Jesus is to follow in his teachings, mm-hmm. um, but aren't so enamored with with. Uh, Confronting the living person of Christ, right? Uh, in, um, as or the God aspect of Christ, right? Right, exactly. That's right. So, so, so that um, Christianity becomes um, a way of life for some folks, right? In, 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 which is a good thing, I suppose. But, but I mean, in terms of it's, it's a philosophy, right? To follow in a certain uh, set of teachings that were taught by Jesus and. Um, that that we're the you know that the, that the church then becomes the community that continues living the way he taught us to live, um, but it but it doesn't have um, a real sense of of, of that that the, the power of that Holy Spirit that uh, is is alive in, in the world through Christ and through yeah, and, and we're, we're the community of people that is that his lives body still the operates in people today. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think that's why folks. You know, and, and, and I, you know, 
I can understand how they would see themselves as Christians because they're following the way of Christ, right? I mean, and I'm not going to say that they aren't Christians. I think mean, because a lot of them do a heck of a lot of more kingdom work in the world than, than I do even, you know, and, and that's for sure. But but um, so I'm, I'm, I, it's not my place to judge whether they're Christians or not. And, um, but I would have that. I would leave it to say that I have a different understanding and a different definition of what of, of Christianity that perhaps they might have. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned before that you were Pentecostal before, is that mm-hmm. correct? For, for a while, yeah, I was. Yeah. Um, I was raised Roman Catholic um, and then uh, became Pentecostal uh, in my late uh, high school uh, years and, and into early college. Okay. Yeah, so maybe about four or five years, something like that. Okay. Yeah. What caused you to migrate? Which way? <laughs> First off, I went to Catholicism and then into the Pentecostal movement. Well, I guess um, I became involved, but well, two things. Um, one is that I became involved in the charismatic renewal within the, the Roman Catholic Church when I was uh, uh, in my early uh, high school time days. Um, and uh, right around that time also, I had an experience um, of uh, meeting a, a, a woman at, at our county fair uh, who uh, had a little booth uh, where she was sort of like basically an evangelical person and inviting people to receive Jesus into their life. Um, and so I um, prayed with her and, and said this prayer about uh, receiving Jesus in my life and, and actually um, was a very profound experience, spiritual experience for me, right? Um, and then subsequently I became involved in the charismatic renewal within the Roman Catholic Church and then out, out of that I became involved in Pentecostalism and uh, became more fully Pentecostal for a while. So did you have, um, did you um, get filled with the Spirit in that prayer? In, in that particular moment? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I would say that, that I, um, I did, you know, I mean, it was, it was uh, an experience of, of Christ in my life um, in, in, a, in a new way. Um, I, I think now looking back on it that you know the Holy Spirit already was dwelling within me mm-hmm. and it, it uh, just manifested, that time. manifested yeah, in that yeah. right um, and and uh, so so I can't deny that experience mm-hmm. for what it was because uh, it was a, it was a, a life-changing a, a life experience, experience. Yeah. Um, and you know that that whole time uh, Walking among the Pentecostals, as I sometimes call, it, um, was really uh, powerful for me, um, and became less so uh, over time. Um, it became more. Um, um, the more and more I was involved with with that way of being, it was becoming more and more legalistic mm-hmm. and, and more uh, all about rules mm-hmm. um, than than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so for me, that that was sort of one of the, the things that sort of led me eventually out of it via the Episcopal Church. Actually, that mm-hmm. that uh, uh, in the Episcopal Church, I saw what I loved about. Um, Roman Catholicism uh, in terms of the liturgy and uh, the, the 
cycle of the church year and all of those sort of things uh, that that uh, I really liked about Roman Catholicism, uh, but then setting it within the context of um, a more of an emphasis on biblical Christianity, and then also um, more of an emphasis on um, the uh, ability of the individual to think critically and to make judgments. That, that? that everybody has to be in lockstep. We right. can have disagreements about various things. Um, and uh, all of that um, was very appealing to me. You know, and, and I was I had not found that in uh, in the Pentecostal uh, tradition that I had that I was part of. I mean, for for a little while I was really you know pretty hardcore Pentecostal, you know, store, storefront Pentecostal. Uh, so so that was uh, that that was a little little part of, of, of my journey. But but then it was you know, then coming out of that, uh, finding the Episcopal Church and eventually uh, becoming Episcopalian. Um, uh, was, was the road that, that I took from from jumping off from Pentecostals. In fact, for a, for a long while, I uh, didn't want anything. I, I just sort of took that whole time of my life and chalked it up as, as sort of like, you know, bad news. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was only um, not recently. I mean, that was a long time ago. Um, but, but it took me a while to be able to reintegrate that. To, uh, to to say, okay, what was good about that experience and how can I reinvigorate that into my own uh, spiritual life? You know, a sense of, of uh, a personal connection to Christ, a sense of um, uh, uh, knowing that, that, that you know, uh, the Holy Spirit can work in one's life. And, and not that I didn't agree to believe that while I was chopping the rest of that up to experience, but um, but really receiving that again and, and saying, well, what, was it, what are some of the things from that experience that I can really uh, draw from uh, in my life now? I did that. There was a, a wonderful mentor of mine, uh, a priest by the name of Carol Anderson uh, from uh, All Saints uh, Church in Beverly Hills. She was the rector there when I was actually a, a seminarian. And, um, you know, she, she had come through the uh, charismatic experience as well. And um, I think she was really one of the persons who really helped me to see that, that uh, I, could, I could reintegrate that into to my own spirituality and not just sort of set it aside over here uh, that that it could uh, it, it could enliven my own faith now even though I wasn't necessarily believing some of the things that I was believing way back when. I had a similar experience coming from the Roman Catholic Church and then going to a charismatic church and then leaving the charismatic church basically because of that very thing, the we think mentality, we think this, we do that, without there being any real understanding of people are going to think differently and that doesn't mean that you're going to hell for it, <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I definitely understand the journey. but. Um, and I thought initially, and I, it took me five years to set foot in the church again. <clears throat> I was out for five years. But during that period of time, that individual relationship became very, very, it, my lifeblood. <clears throat> because during that period of time, I wrote, and I prayed, and I wrote, and I prayed, and that kept me during that <clears throat> period of time. <clears throat> but um, 
going back to church, going to the progressive church, I was really missing the spiritual aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And it was it was disappointing. It was like, okay, once you've gone through all these different experiences, then how did these coalesce to become yes. a living, breathing, real entity that you can like associate with and, <laughs> and and have communion with other people with? Because not a whole lot of people have had all of those different experiences. <laughs> and I found a lot of ignorance, and in many cases, and as a Catholic, I do understand this, so arrogance, because mm. there's a lot of Catholic pride, and there's a lot of pride in some of the older mainline denominations saying, well, we were here first, and we've done it all this time, mm-hmm. and we know what we're doing, and mm-hmm. we're very educated, which in many cases are true, but that doesn't discount the other experience at all. Right. So, personally, my personal journey is to find an entity that will contain all of those, because I believe that all of those is what started Christianity in the first place. That really was the first century church. The, the first century church grew and became what it became primarily because people had that individual and the relationship, and then they had the the communal aspect, mm-hmm. that loving communal aspect. Mm-hmm. And for as long as politics stayed out of it, it worked. (laughs) And somehow we need to find a way to bring it or get elements of that back. This is Felicia Gaddis, and thank you for joining me for another episode of ICHOS. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion with Father Mark Kowalewski from St. John's Cathedral in Los Angeles. Join me next time for part three of the Progressive Christianity series, where I'll speak with Professor David Albertson, Associate Professor of Religion and Director of Graduate Studies at the University of Southern California School of Religion. We'll focus on love, Eros specifically, and see how it factors into the Progressive Christian movement.